You know, with all sensitivity, there were a lot of people who had expected something yesterday that didn't come to pass. And I honestly, I, honestly, I'm not here to make fun. Absolutely not. But can you imagine the devastation in people's hearts if you have your mind set with, with all its strength and sincerity and conviction that Jesus would come back, that, that yesterday would have been the end, and then the realization that that wasn't there? Can you, can you imagine that? I, I loved reading a story yesterday, and I've followed this with great interest, obviously. Um, I read, I read with, with real joy in my heart yesterday that there was a, a local church in Oakland who had been um, kind of defamed by this, this man uh, uh, camping who had made this prediction that the world would come to an end because this church hadn't agreed with him and he, he had kind of completely outcast them. And they sent a lot of people from their church yesterday to this radio station headquarters to minister to those who were disappointed and, and let down, so to speak. You know, this, this will happen in your life and in mine. We will make plans. We will have expectations, deep convictions of, of what will or should happen that might not. I remember one time in my life that's a lot less dramatic than, uh, than the disappointment people must have felt yesterday. But um, one of my very best friends from South Carolina, a guy that I went to, to grad school with and sang in a, in, a, in a traveling choir with you in seminary. Yes, I sang in a traveling choir. Uh, Sam Goodwin, one of my best friends. And, and once we left South Carolina and moved back to Europe for ministry, we stayed in close touch even across the ocean and would speak at least weekly, if not, if not more often, and really just missed each other, hadn't seen each other in a long time. And finally, he had saved up enough money and bought a ticket to come uh, visit us in Germany. And we had made plans for months, literally months, of what we would do. And I had picked out the places I would take him, the things I wanted to show him, and, and, and just the stuff we would do and I was I literally I, I wasn't I was talking about nothing else all of my co-workers were getting tired of yeah we know Sam's coming hey, hey, hey Sam's coming yeah okay Sam's coming and uh, I get a phone call in the middle of the night the night before he was supposed to come and phone calls in the middle of the night are never great you know my mom still can't figure out the time difference uh, between Germany and here but it's another story so I get a phone call from Sam in the middle of the night says Christian I can't find my passport And if you knew Sam, first of all, you wouldn't be surprised he can't find something, but you also wouldn't be surprised that that he would just try and pull one on me, you know, just kind of get me going and and do that in the middle of the night would be just like him. And I I didn't believe, I said, yeah, whatever, whatever. And it turned out he couldn't find his passport. He just, he's very disorganized. He had it on his kitchen table. He was single at the time and uh, uh, there was a mess in his house constantly and he had cleaned up the mess on his kitchen table by just doing this and dumping it in the trash and realized later his passport was gone. And I have to tell you, it was really, really devastating. Just disappointing. Devastating is maybe the wrong word in that context, but man, we were disappointed that all the plans that we had made and looked forward to weren't going to happen. Again, that will happen in your life and in my life. And this will happen with God. God will interrupt and disrupt our plans, your plans and my plans, even though they might be good and well-intentioned. I want us to watch another video. It's a short story of one of our South Campus crashers, Pat, and how, how his life plans got interrupted and what came out of that. Let's watch this together. 
lost my job, let's see, November 19th, 2009. You know, you send your resume out, you don't hear anything back. You know, you think the internet, there's so much opportunity out there. But just look what my best efforts have brought me to. You know, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic. And, uh, and I have been involved in drugs most of my life. So everything just kind of came to a head. Uh, I'd just been through an ugly end of a 23-year marriage. I just kind of settled down and accepted the fact that God had brought me to a point where I may not get, you know, a high-paying job again. It was depressing. It uh, had a real serious impact on my self-concept because an American male, I've always been very successful professionally, and I did my job and was well-respected for it. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm nothing. I've got, I got no money. I lost everything I owned, you know, all my, all my worldly goods in a divorce. Lost most of my 401K. My priorities were all screwed up. And, you know, because it was me. What will this do for Pat Whalen? And how will this advance my personal agenda? I am not the person that showed up at, at, at K2 South a year or so ago. And all of a sudden, it became clear to me finally that, you know, I was no longer in control and things would be okay. And then, uh, and I lived on that. You know, I'm just different. The way I make decisions, the way I look at life, the way, the way I feel about serving, the value I, I feel in serving through K2's Kids Against Hunger, the Open Door Program, Adventure Canyon, have made just an amazing life for me in the last year when I, while I've been unemployed and kind of on the bottom. During the Easter services, I kind of had a, a rebirth of my attitude because this is the first year, and K2 is the first place that's really opened my eyes to what, what Easter means and what Christ really gives us and, and what it's all about. Out of the blue since Easter, I've received not one job opportunity after 16 months of unemployment, but I received two. Just bam, we're right there. And, and I had a decision to make. You know, one in, in Billings, Montana, which is a wonderful, beautiful place, close to skiing, Yellowstone, close to where I'm from in Wyoming. The other job offer was in Bismarck, North Dakota. I don't know how many people have been to Bismarck, North Dakota, but that wasn't my first choice. For the first time, I kind of wanted God to be an integral part of whatever happened because it was his move. Because obviously things were happening that I had no control or influence over. Everything started pointing to Bismarck. And God moved and, and gave me an opportunity to go back to work. It's the best job offer I've ever had in my life. As bizarre as it sounds, I'm, I'm excited about moving to Bismarck, North Dakota, because I know that there's opportunities that God has put in place up there, good works for me to do in North Dakota. And uh, K2 has been, I mean, instrumental is not even the word. I didn't come to Christ, but I sure grew in Christ at K2 South. And, and I just am torn up that I can't be there for the move, but I will be back. Thank you, K2, and thank the Lord for putting me in this family, in this community. Great story um, Pat has. Unfortunately, he, he will be moving soon. But I tell you what, his life's plans didn't include the things that happened. A few years ago, he would have never thought, you know, when he, he had a family and, and a successful career, a good-paying job, he did not think that in 2010-11, he would find himself without a job, with his family broken up, and, and no plans for the future. And as he just said, there, 
definitely were no plans to move to Bismarck, North Dakota. And that's where he finds himself going. I just loved hearing his heart to, to follow Jesus through all of that. And you know, I think as a church, we're at a similar point. A um, little bit of where, where Pat found himself, not so much the negative circumstances or the apparent negative circumstances, but we find ourselves at a place that we didn't think we would find ourselves in just even six months ago. Two, two evenings ago, I was together with Dave and Susie and some other couples, and we were praying together uh, Friday night, and, and Dave kind of talked about where we're at at K2, and he said, you know what, K2 is not what I thought it would be when we launched. It's just not what I, and there was no negativity in that at all. It was just, this, I just didn't expect this. And even as, as I said already, six months ago, maybe even less, there were, there were no thoughts. We would not have thought that May 22nd would be our last Sunday as two campuses. You know, it just made sense. And I just want to give you a little bit of the history of K2. Part of our mission and vision from the beginning was we want a campus. We don't want to grow one side to be super large. We want to have, have a location here and there. And even when I joined, I joined K2 staff because the South Campus launch was pending. And they, they needed somebody else to help, help uh, carry the load here at the North Campus. You know, Dave came from a church and his team at Kensington that, that, that campused very successfully and quickly. I think they have seven campuses today. So it was kind of a natural uh, vision that, that we had coming from this church in Detroit that had done this. And, and this vision of having a, a south campus and a west campus eventually, maybe a Park City campus, a North Salt Lake campus. That was where we were headed. That was our plan. And it just came naturally a few years ago to, to go south first. A large number of people attended here from south of the valley and wherever you want to draw that line. And, and it was just a natural move. And we felt clearly led by God to do that. And as we said earlier, there's nothing that's not going well at the south campus. We have great and steady attendance there, and, and uh, things are going well. People love the community down there. Lives are being touched. Lives are being changed. People find Jesus. And yet, a few months ago, I remember the management team meeting when, um, when Dave came in and said, Guys, I just want to throw a crazy thought at you. And he said, I just have this, this little small voice in me that, that's wondering whether we should bring our campuses back together. I'm wondering whether God is leading us to change our, our vision a little bit, the way we do things, the way we accomplish the greater mission. I wonder if there's a change. And then he said, I don't even know if I should say it. But he said, it. and that's one thing, by the way, I love about Dave and his leadership. There is no what we call uh, golden cows. There's no holy cows that are untouchable. There's nothing that we do that we just want to keep doing because we've always done it. We always want to be open to God changing what we thought was right or, or to just change directions for us. And so he threw it out there. What do you think if we do this? And we were like, what? <laughs> Where is this coming from? But with him, we committed to praying about it and bringing it before God and then eventually bringing it to our spiritual advisory board and, and our business advisory board and, and just united feeling this move, feeling that this is where God is leading us. We started catching, catching a vision for how, how strong we could be together, coming back together, what it would mean to, to our resources. And I'm not just talking financial resources, but human resources and, and energy and excellence and, and just bringing us all back together. The momentum that that would bring and how it would prepare us 
for our future. And that was really what we were sensing. And I think what Dave started sensing is that there is the, the mission is the same. The mission to be a presence of God's love and power in this, in this city, in this valley, and in this state and beyond. And the realization that God might ask us to change our plans to accomplish that mission and, and, and adjust it. And that we would be better prepared for what he has for us if we come back together. And so that's where we find ourselves today. And what is unchanging in the midst of this transition, and I want to assure you of that, what is absolutely unchanging in the leadership of this church, beyond the management team, into the spiritual advisory board, the Bob, and I believe into our membership, the crash, is the unwavering commitment to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. And whatever that looks like, and whatever impression that might give to people, we are committed to going for it full force and full of faith and trust in Jesus that he will take us every step along that way. And I just want to encourage and invite you to join us in that. I want to read a passage this morning that is really the continuation of the story we talked about last week. If you remember, we looked at Deuteronomy 8 and the story of the people of Israel being led out of Egypt, out of slavery, into freedom, they thought, and then right into the desert. God led them, said, I'm, I'm taking you to the promised land, a land full of blessing and abundance where you will have everything and more that you need. And then he intentionally leads them right into the desert, into need and hunger and thirst to teach them a lot of things and to prepare them for where he was taking them. So we talked about that. Today I want to look at the continuation of that in Joshua 1, one, when they were actually done with the desert, 40 years in the desert, and he leads them to the, to the threshold of, of the land that he promised them, the promised land, the land of, of Canaan. And so they are at the, they, they've already started conquering some of the land, but they're about to cross the Jordan into this land. So let's read from Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 12 through to verse 15. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan, toward the sunrise. Let me just pray for the message. Lord, thank you again for this morning. Thanks that we get to be here. Thanks that we uh, get to worship you. And thanks that we get to look at your word. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts and right into our situation as a church um, through your word this morning. I pray that you would encourage us and challenge us and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, the context is they, they've gone through the desert for 40 years. They, they've, they've seen God provide and protect and lead them through that. And they have started to conquer and take over the land that God had given them. They had learned great need and dependency on God. 
And so now here they are. And it almost seems like if this was a movie, you would think this is now, they are there. They're at their destination. This is where, where music comes in and the lonely cowboy rides off into the sunset and it says the end. They're there, happy end. But that is not the story. Even though they had arrived at what they thought was their destination, the, the land that God had promised them, God had led them there. The Israelites still had a few things to learn. And there's three things that I want to focus on in this passage. And the first one is the Israelites still had to fight. The Israelites still had to fight. Even though they had arrived at the land that God said, I will give you this. And he had promised this to them uh, centuries ago. It wasn't that he, he would just hand it to them with a nice bow tied around and say, here, here you got it. You're done. Rest. Get comfortable. There were still fights along the way. Every step along the way, the Israelites had to put their trust and their faith in their God. And they had to be obedient. They had to take steps of faith, steps that involved risk, steps that in involved sacrifice, and a large dependency on God. It wasn't over. Each time, each city that they came to, each part of the land that they would take over and conquer, God asked them to do things that involved self-sacrifice self and risk. If we think about the story of Jericho, and if you don't know it, I will tell you briefly. After they crossed the Jordan into the land, they, they came to Jericho, which was probably the most influential city in the land. It was fortified, and here was a, a, a people of Israel who, you know, they, they had put an army together, but... They were a ragtag group of people, just had come through the desert. And, and so now here they're supposed to conquer this land. And God said, okay, here's what I want you to do, Joshua. I want you to take your men and I want you to march around the city of Jericho once every day for six days. On the last day, I want you to do it seven times. Seven times you march around the city and you blow your trumpets and, and whatever else you have, make a lot of noise. That's what I want you to do. Now think about this. Here's Joshua, a leader of this nation. He's not just their political authority. He's, he's their military leader. And so he has a mission to, to conquer this land. God says, I will give you this. You go, you get it. And then he asks them to march around a fortified city once every day for six days. And then go and play music. <laughs> doing it seven times on the seventh day. Now who does that make sense to? Anybody here? Now, I know, you know, uh, like blaring music at somebody is a form of torture and it can wear people down. I don't think that was the point here. See, what God was doing them, he was asking Joshua and the people of Israel, are you willing to do, are you willing to do it my way? Are you willing to do it in a way that doesn't make sense to you? Are you willing to do something that will make you seem so incredibly foolish to the people in the city? Anybody know VeggieTales? There's a great VeggieTales story about this, where the little soldier French peas on top of the, the, the wall in Jericho make fun of the Israelites. Um, I, that probably really took place. They made, they made fun of them. They were ridiculed. They were doing something that made them total, look totally foolish in the context of wanting to conquer the city. And yet they did it, and God handed them Jericho in a way that only he could. See, and this is the story of Israel as they were willing to follow God into this land, as they were willing to put their lives at risk, as they were willing to sacrifice and do what he asked them to do. That was their responsibility. God still 
did it. He's the one that gave them each part of the land, one piece at a time. But they had to be willing to fight. They had to be willing to sacrifice and to put faith in God and to obey as they moved forward. The Israelites still had to fight for what God had promised them. The second lesson that they learned and needed to learn is this was not about getting comfortable as a people, as people who follow God. This was not about getting comfortable. And it shows us right away in this, in this passage in verses 13 and 15 when he talks to these two tribes who had already conquered their land, who had already settled it. He said in verse 13 and 15, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives and your children and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men fully armed must cross over ahead of your brothers you are to help your brothers until the lord gives them rest as he has done for you and until they too have taken possession of the land that the lord your god is giving them see reaching the promised land was not the end it wasn't about just reaching the destination it wasn't about sitting back and enjoying it it wasn't about about getting there sitting back and enjoying retirement and golf for the rest of their lives god was and is never really interested in our comfort, in us getting comfortable and settling down and just complacent. He's not interested in us resting until the mission is accomplished. And I find it interesting that he's asking these, these two tribes actually to go ahead of the other tribes that still had their land to conquer. He says, you go ahead of them, prepare. You go and fight for and with them. You know, in our coming back together as a North and South campus, and Dave made this very clear at a recent huddle when he spoke to, to our members, our coming back together is not and will never be about us just getting comfortable and cozy with each other. It will never be about what's sometimes called the holy huddle. Oh, we're so glad to be together, and let's just have, have fellowship with each other and, and enjoy each other's company. Now, that, that's part of it. We, wanna, we want to build our community and fellowship, and I'm looking forward to the relationships with the people that have gone south that I haven't seen on a regular basis. But it isn't and will never be about K2 getting comfortable where we, where we are at. It is great that we love each other, but that is not the idea of getting back together. The idea and the vision for us getting back together is that we think we can accomplish the mission that God has set before us more effectively. Just like the Israelites weren't supposed to rest and get comfortable until the greater vision was accomplished, the same is true for K2, the church. Because the mission that we, we are on, the vision that God has given us is bigger than K2 North or K2 South. And it's bigger than just K2, the church. No, God is telling the Israelites in this passage to put aside their identity and interests as separate tribes and to focus on the unified mission that they had as a nation. He's saying, don't worry about being a, a Reubenite and don't worry about being a Benjamite and, and whatever else tribe you have. Be, be, be worried and concerned about the overall mission that you have as my people. That is what God is telling them. And do you know what the mission for the people of Israel was? It wasn't even about the land. It was about being a people 
that would represent the one true living and loving God. It was about being a people who would show the nations around them and the world that there was a loving, true, and living God who was interested in changing people's lives and drawing them into a relationship with him that would give them peace and freedom and forgiveness. That was the mission of the people of Israel. And that is our mission as a church, as K2, the church here in Salt Lake City, and as a church universally. We are to represent the God that we worship and show the world around us who he is and that he loves and that he forgives and that he's full of grace. It's not about the North Campus being the North Campus and, and being in Sugar House. It's not about the, the South Campus being the South Campus and Sandy and West, West Jordan and South Jordan. It's about being a, the body of Jesus in this city, in this valley, and in this state and representing the God that we worship. He's asking us to set aside our identities as a North Campus and as a South Campus and to be his people. You know, in this process, it is really, really important how we come back together and how we live this transition and how we live this reuniting. I want to take you to a passage in John part of my, the fa- my favorite part of all of the Bible. John 13 through 17 is Jesus' last time with his disciples. And I know I mentioned this a lot when I speak. I, I just love it. Jesus knows he's leaving and he's just pouring his heart out one last time to the, to the people he loves and is leaving behind to carry on the torch. And this is what he tells them about how important it is for them to be unified. I'm going to read from John chapter 17, and um, I didn't write down the exact verse, but I will find it in a second. It's going to read from verse 20. It's part of a prayer um, that Jesus is praying for the disciples there and for all of us, all of those that would follow him later on. So let me start in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. See, the way that we will come back together as campuses will speak volumes about the God that we serve and worship. It will speak to the reality of Jesus being alive today. That's what he's saying here. The way that we as a church live out our unity will speak to the people watching us into the truth that Jesus is alive today because it isn't normal for people to live in harmony together. That's how important it is how we live this transition and how we come back together. And I want to challenge us, you, me, as the current North Campus, 
which we will no longer be the North Campus. We'll still meet here, but we won't be the North Campus anymore. We'll just be K2 United. But I just want to challenge you and, and really place a lot of, a lot of the, the opportunity and the privilege and responsibility of living this unity with us as the ones who are receiving the South Campus back here. And I just want to encourage us and challenge us to give it everything starting June 5th in welcoming them back up here. A lot of the people that you saw on, in this video, you probably didn't recognize, and I didn't, because a lot of the people that will be coming here have never been to the North Campus. There's a good number of people who started attending K2 at South have never been here besides Christmas or maybe Good Friday. And so this is going to be a whole new place, a whole new experience. And I pray, honestly, I pray every day that we would just welcome them with the love of Jesus, that we, would, that we would intentionally look for people, for faces that we don't know, and that we would, would take a step of, of, and take the initiative of, of welcoming people we don't know, of introducing ourselves, whether they are coming from South Campus or whether they're first-time visitors here, but that we would just show people the love of Jesus when they step on this campus. And that we would make the people that come from south as welcome as we possibly can so that this will be and become their home as quickly as possible. And we just have to know, as much as we want to do away with, with the whole uh, language of North and South Campus, we, we have got to be sensitive to the, to the fact that people from South Campus, a lot of them have a sense of loss. They have poured their, their sweat and sometimes blood <laughs> into the South Campus and setting up for a year and a half, starting at 4 a.m. in the morning, every Sunday morning, and not leaving until everything's put back together at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Yeah, is that what your Sunday should look like? <laughs> So we, we just have to be sensitive to, to the sense of loss that some of them might be experiencing and, and the sense of disorientation here at the North Campus and just really want to encourage all of us to go out of our way, to welcome people, to introduce ourselves, to show them around, give them a, sh a, a, a tour of this campus, show them where things are and really make them feel welcome. In this process, I think we have a great opportunity to, to become the most welcoming church in all of Salt Lake City. And what excites me about that is it's not just about the people that come, come back from the, from the South Campus, but it's about anybody that walks onto this campus, that walks through our doors, who've never been here. Let's have open eyes for the people that God brings us at, to this campus and to this church. No one asked the band to come up as we close I just want to encourage all of us to keep focusing on our common vision and mission. No matter how, how that's lived out, whether that was through campusing or now through coming back together and, and hopefully uh, spinning off church plans in the near future, let's allow God to prepare all of us together for what He has planned, what He has for our future. And wherever that might be geographically, whether that's the fun dome that we're pursuing, which would be awesome, or whether that's another location, whatever he has for us, and however long that's going to take. Remember, the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. <laughs> that was not their plan. I'm pretty sure we won't be in here for 40 years, but hey, who knows? But wherever God has us and whatever he's preparing us for, let's remember the vision and the mission that he's given us and that we're on. And that is to be a faith community that introduces people 
to the almighty, loving, and powerful God of the universe who sent his son so that you and I could be forgiven, who raised his son from the, from the grave so that you and I can have new life, can receive his grace and his life and his freedom. That's what we're about. North or south or united, that's what K2 the church is about in this city and in this valley and in this state. And we are on this mission together. United, together, following Jesus. And I'm excited.